0: Chapter Eleven of the Millionaire Baby This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Millionaire Baby by Anna K. Green. Chapter Eleven The Secret of the Old Pavilion. I was as sane that night as I have ever been in my life. I am quite sure of this, though I had had a merry time enough earlier in the evening with my friends in the Old Pavilion, that time honored retreat of my ancestors. "'whose desolation I had thought to dissipate "'with a little harmless revelry. "'Wine does not disturb my reason, "'the little wine I had drank under that unwholesome roof, "'nor am I a man given to sudden excitements "'or untoward impulses. "'Yet this thing happened to me. "'It was after leaving the pavilion.' My companions had all ridden away, and I was standing on the lawn beyond my library windows, recalling my pleasure with them and gazing somewhat idly, I own, at the bare portion of the old wall where the tree fell a year ago, the place where the moon strikes with such a glitter when it rides high, as it did that night, when, believe it or not, it is all one to me. I became conscious of a sudden mental dread, inexplicable and alarming, which, seizing me after an hour of unmixed pleasure and gaiety, took such a firm grip upon my imagination that I fain would have turned my back upon the night and its influences, only my eyes would not leave that open space of wall where I now saw pass, not the shadow, but the veritable body of a large, black, hungry-looking dog, which, while I looked, "'turned into the open gateway connecting with the pavilion, and disappeared. "'With it went the oppression which held me spellbound. "'The ice melted from my blood. "'I could move my limbs and again control my thoughts and exercise my will. "'Forcing a laugh, I whistled to that dog. "'The lights with which the banquet had been illuminated were out, "'and every servant had left the place.' but the tables had not been entirely cleared, and I could well understand what had drawn this strange animal thither. I whistled then, and whistled peremptorily, but no dog answered my call. Angry, for the rules are strict at my stables in regard to wandering brutes, I strode toward the pavilion. Entering the great gap in the wall where the gate had once hung, I surveyed the dismal interior before me. "'with feelings I could not but consider odd in a strong man like myself. "'Though the wine was scarcely dry in the glass "'which an hour before I had raised in this very spot amid cheers of laughter, "'I found it a difficult matter to re-enter there now, "'in the dead of night, alone and without light. "'For this building, harmless as it had always seemed, "'had been in a way cursed.' For no reason that he ever gave, my father had doomed this ancient adjunct to our home to perpetual solitude and decay. By his will he had forbidden it to be destroyed, a wish respected by my guardians and afterward by myself, and though there was nothing to hinder its being cared for and in a manner used, the dismal influence which had pervaded the place ever since his death had, under the sensations I have mentioned, "'deepened into horror and an unspeakable repugnance. "'Yet never having had any reason to believe myself a coward, "'I took boldly enough the few steps necessary "'to carry me inside its dismal precincts, "'and, meeting with nothing but darkness and silence, "'began to whistle again for the dog "'I had certainly seen enter here. "'But no dog appeared. "'Hastening out, I took my way toward the stables.' As I did so I glanced back, and again my eyes fell on that place in the wall gleaming white in the moonlight. Again I felt the chill, the horror. Again my eyes remained glued to this one spot, and again I beheld the passing of the dog, running with jaws extended and head held low. Fearsome, uncanny, supernaturally horrible, a thing to flee from if one could only flee instead of standing stock-still on the sward, gazing with eyes that seemed starting from their sockets till it had plunged through the gap in the wall and again disappeared. The occult and the imaginary have never appealed to me, and the moment I felt myself a man again, I hurried on to the stables to call up my man Jared. But halfway there I paused, struck by an odd remembrance, This father of mine, Philo Ocampa, had died, or so his old servants had said, under peculiar circumstances. I had forgotten them till now. Such stories make poor headway with me. But if I was not mistaken, the facts were these. He had been ailing long, and his nurses had got used to the sight of his gaunt white figure sitting propped up but speechless in the great bed opposite the stretch of blank wall in the corner bedroom, where a picture of his first wife, the wife of his youth, had once hung, but which, for some years now, had been removed to where there were fewer shadows and more light. He had never been a talkative man, and in all the five years of my own memory of him, I had never heard him raise his voice except in command, or when the duties of hospitality required it. Now, with the shadow of death upon him, he was absolutely speechless, and his nurses were obliged to guess at his wishes by the movement of his hands or the direction of his eyes. Yet he was not morose, and sometimes was seen to struggle with the guards holding his tongue as though he would fain have loosed them himself from their inexorable control. Yet he never succeeded in doing so, AND THE NURSES SAT BY HIM AND SAW NO DIFFERENCE IN HIM, TILL SUDDENLY THE CANDLE POISED ON THE TABLE NEARBY FLICKERED AND WENT OUT, LEAVING ONLY MOONLIGHT IN THE ROOM. IT WAS MOONLIGHT SO BRILLIANT THAT THE PLACE SEEMED BRIGHTER THAN BEFORE, THOUGH THE BEAMS WERE ALL CONCENTRATED ON ONE SPOT, A BLANK SPOT IN THE MIDDLE OF THE WALL UPON WHICH THOSE TWO DIM ORBS IN THE BED WERE FIXED IN EXPECTANCY, NONE THERE UNDERSTOOD. For none knew that the summons had come, and that for him the angel of death was at that moment standing in the room. Yet, as moonlight is not the natural light for a sick man's bedside, one amongst them had risen for another candle, when something-I had never stopped to hear them say what-made him pause and look back, when he saw distinctly outlined upon the white wall space I have mentioned the figure. THE UNIMAGINABLE FIGURE OF A DOG, LARGE, FIERCE, AND HUNGRY-LOOKING, WHICH DASHED BY, AND WAS GONE. SIMULTANEOUSLY A CRY CAME FROM THE BED, THE FIRST WORDS FOR MONTHS, ALINE, THE NAME OF HIS GIRL-WIFE DEAD AND GONE FOR YEARS. ALL SPRANG, SOME TO CHASE THE DOG, ONE TO AID AND COMFORT THE SICK MAN. BUT NO DOG WAS THERE nor did he need comfort more he had died with that cry on his lips and as they gazed at his face sunk low now in his pillow as if he had started up and fallen back a dead weight they felt the terror of the moment grow upon them till they too were speechless for the aged features were drawn into lines of unspeakable anguish and horror BUT AS THE NIGHT PASSED AND MORNING CAME, ALL THESE LINES SMOOTHED OUT, AND WHEN THEY BURIED HIM, THOSE WHO HAD KNOWN HIM WELL TALKED OF THE BEAUTIFUL SERENITY WHICH ILLUMINATED THE FACE, WHICH, SINCE THEIR FIRST REMEMBRANCE OF HIM, HAD CARRIED THE SECRET OF A PROFOUND AND UNBROKEN MELANCHOLY. OF THE DOG NOTHING WAS SAID, EVEN IN WHISPERS, TILL TIME HAD HALLOWED THAT GRAVE and the little children about grown to be men and women. Then the garrulity of age had its way. This story and the images it called up came like a shock as I halted there, and instead of going on into the stables I turned my steps toward the house, where I summoned from his bed a certain old servant who had lived longer in the family than myself. Bidding him bring a lantern, I waited for him on the porch, and when he came, I told him what I had seen. Instantly I knew that it was no new story to him. He turned very pale and set down the lantern, which was shaking very visibly in his hand. Did you look up, he asked, when you were in the pavilion, I mean? No, why should I? The dog was on the ground. Besides, let us go down to the pavilion, he whispered, I want to see for myself if—if—if what, Jared?" He turned his eyes on me, but did not answer. Stooping I lifted the lantern and put it in his hand. He was quaking like a leaf, but there was a determination in his face, far beyond the ordinary. What made him quake? He who knew of this dog only by hearsay. And what, in spite of this fear? "'gave him such resolution. "'I followed in his wake to see what it was. "'The moon still shone clear upon the lawn, "'and it was with a certain renewal of my former apprehensions "'that I approached the spot on the wall "'where I had seen what I was satisfied not to see again. "'But though I glanced that way, "'what man could have avoided it, "'I perceived nothing but the bare paint, "'and we went on and passed without a word.' Jared leading the way. "'But once on the threshold of the pavilion itself, "'it was for him to show the coward. "'Turning, he made me a gesture, one I did not understand, "'and seeing that I did not understand it, "'he said after a fearful look around, "'Do not mind the dog. "'That was but an appearance. "'Lift your eyes to the ceiling, over there, "'at the extreme end toward the south. "'Do you see?' "'What do you see?' "'Nothing,' I replied, amazed at what struck me as utter folly. "'Nothing?' he repeated in a relieved voice, as he lifted up his lantern. "'Ah!' came in a short muttered shriek from his lips as he pointed up. "'Here and there, along the farther ceiling, over which the light now played freely and fully. "'What is that spot, and that spot, and that?' They were not there today. I was in here before the banquet, and I would have seen. What is it? Master, what is it? They call it. Well, well, what do they call it? I asked impatiently. Blood. Do you not see that it is blood? What else is red and shiny and shows in such great drops? Nonsense, I vociferated, taking the lantern in my own hand. "'Blood on the ceiling of my old pavilion? "'Where could it come from? "'There was no quarrel, no fight, only hilarity.' "'Where did the dog come from?' he whispered. "'I dropped my arm, staring at him in mingled anger "'and certain half-understood sympathy. "'You think these stains?' I began. "'Are as unreal as the dog? "'Yes, Master.' Feeling as if I were in a dream, I tossed up the lantern again. The drops were still there, but no longer single or scattered. From side to side, the ceiling at this one end of the building oozed with the thick red moisture to which he had given so dreadful a name. Stepping back for fear the stains would resolve themselves into rain and drop upon my forehead, I stared at Jared, "'who had now retreated toward the door. "'What makes you think it blood?' I demanded. "'Because some have smelt and tasted it. "'We have never talked about it. "'But this is not an uncommon occurrence. "'Tomorrow all these stains will be gone. "'They come when the dog circles the wall. "'Whence no one knows. "'It is our mystery. "'All the old servants have heard of it more than once.' THE NEW ONES HAVE NEVER BEEN TOLD, NOR WOULD I HAVE TOLD YOU IF YOU HAD NOT SEEN THE DOG. IT WAS A MATTER OF HONOR WITH US. I LOOKED AT HIM, SAW THAT HE BELIEVED EVERY WORD HE HAD SAID, THREW ANOTHER GLANCE AT THE CEILING, AND LED THE WAY OUT. WHEN WE HAD REACHED THE HOUSE AGAIN, I SAID, YOU ARE ACQUAINTED WITH THE TRADITION UNDERLYING THESE APPEARANCES, AS YOU CALL THEM? WHAT IS IT? he would not tell me. He knew no more than he had already stated, gossip and old wives' tales. But later a certain manuscript came into my possession through my lawyer, which I will append to this. It was written by my unhappy father some little time before his last illness, and given into the charge of the legal representative of our family, with the express injunction that its seal was to remain intact If for twenty years the apparition which had haunted him did not present itself to the eyes of any of his children, but if within that time his experience should repeat itself in theirs, this document was to be handed over to the occupant of Homewood. Nineteen out of the twenty years had elapsed without the dog being seen or the ceiling of the pavilion dropping blood, but not the twentieth. Hence, the document was mine. You can easily conceive with what feelings I opened it. It was headed with this simple line, my story which I can write but could never tell. I am cursed with an inability to speak when I am most deeply moved, either by anger or tenderness. This misfortune has wrecked my life. On the verge of old age the sorrows and the mistakes of my early life fill my thoughts so completely that I see but one face, hear but one voice. Yet when she was living, then she could see and hear, my tongue was silent and she never knew. Aline, my Aline. I married her when I was thirty-five and she eighteen. All the world knows this. BUT WHAT IT DOES NOT KNOW IS THAT I LOVED HER, TOY, plaything THAT SHE WAS, A BODY WITHOUT A MIND, OR SO I CONSIDERED HER, WHILE SHE HAD BUT FOLLOWED THE WISHES OF HER RELATIVES IN GIVING HER SWEET YOUTH TO A COLD AND RETICENT MAN, WHO MIGHT LOVE, INDEED, BUT WHO HAD NO POWER TO TELL THAT LOVE, OR EVEN TO SHOW IT IN THE WAYS WHICH WOMEN LIKE, AND WHICH SHE LIKED, AS I FOUND OUT WHEN IT WAS TOO LATE. I could not help but love her. It was ingrained within me, a part of the curse of my life to love this gentle, thoughtless, alluring thing to which I had given my name. She had a smile, it did not come often, which tore at my heart-strings as it welled up, just stirring the dimples in her cheeks, and died away again in a strange and moving sweetness. Though I reckoned her at her worth, knew that her charm was all physical, that she neither did nor could understand a passion like mine, much less return it. It was none the less irresistible, and I have known myself to stand before a certain bookshelf in the turn of the stairway for many minutes together, because I knew that she would soon be coming down, and that, when she did, some ribbon from her gown would flutter by me, and I should feel the soft contact and go away happy to my books. Yet if she stopped to look back at me, I could only return her look with one she doubtless called harsh, for she had not eyes to see below the surface. I tell you all this lest you may not understand. She was not your mother, and you may begrudge me the affection I felt for her. If so, thrust these leaves into the fire and seek not the explanation of what has surprised you For there is no word written here which does not find its meaning in the intense love I bore for her, my young girl-wife, and the tragedy which this love has brought into my life. She was light in body, slight in mind, and of slight feeling. I first discovered this last on the day I put my mother's ring on her finger. She laughed as I fitted it close and kissed her little hand not from embarrassment or childish impulse, I could have understood that, but indifferently, like one who did not know and never could. Yet I married her, and for six months lived in a fool's paradise. Then came that ball. It was held near here, very near, at one of our neighbors, in fact. I remember that we walked, and that, coming to the driveway, I lifted her and carried her across. Not with a smile, do not think it, more like with a frown, though my heart was warm and happy, for when I set her down she shook herself, and I thought she did it to hide a shudder, and then I could not have spoken a word had my life depended on it. I little knew what lay back of that shudder. Even after I had seen her dance with him, not only once but twice, I never dreamed that her thoughts, light though they were, were not at all with me. "'It took that morsel of paper and the plain words it contained "'to satisfy me of this. "'And then—' "'But passion is making me incoherent. "'What do you know of that scrap of paper "'hidden from the whole world from the moment I first read it "'till this hour of full confession?' "'It fluttered from someone's hand during the dance. "'I did not see whose. "'I only saw it after it had fallen at my feet.' and as it lay there open I naturally read the words. They were written by a man to a woman, urging flight and setting the hour and place for meeting. I was conscious of shame in reading it, and let these last details escape me. As I put it in my pocket I remember thinking, some poor devil made miserable, for there had been hint in it of the husband. But I had no thought, I swear it before God, of who that husband was, till I beheld her flit back through the open doorway with terror in her mien and searching eyes fixed on the floor. Then hell opened before me, and I saw my happiness go down into gulfs I had never before sounded, even in my imagination. But even at that hour my countenance scarcely changed. I was opposite a mirror, and I caught a glimpse of myself as I moved, But there must have been some change in my voice, for when I addressed her, she started and turned her face upon me with a wild and pathetic look, which knocked so at my heart that I wished I had never read those words, and so I could return her the paper with no misgivings as to its contents. But, having read it, I could not do this, so beyond a petty greeting I said nothing and let the moment pass, and she with it for couples were dancing and she was soon again in the whirl. I am not a dancing man myself, and I had leisure to think and madden myself with contemplation of my wrecked life and questions as to what I should do to her, and to him, and to the world where such things could happen. I had forgotten the details of time and place, or rather had put them out of my mind, and I would not look at the words again, could not. But as the minutes went by, the remembrance returned, startling and convincing that the hour was two and the place, our old pavilion. I walked about after that like a man in whose breast the sources of life are frozen. I chatted, I who never chatted, with women and with men. I even smiled once. That was when my little white-faced wife asked me if it were not time to go home. EVEN A MAN UNDER TORTURE MIGHT FIND STRENGTH TO SMILE IF THE INQUISITOR SHOULD ASK IF HE WERE NOT READY TO BE RELEASED, AND WE WENT HOME. I DID NOT CARRY HER THIS TIME ACROSS THE DRIVEWAY, BUT WHEN WE PARTED IN THE LIBRARY, WHERE I ALWAYS SPENT AN HOUR BEFORE RETIRING, I PICKED OUT A LILY FROM A VASE OF FLOWERS STANDING ON MY DESK AND HELD IT OUT TO HER. She stared at it for a moment, quite as white as the lily, then she slowly put out her hand and took it. I felt no mercy after that and bade her good night with the remark that I should have to write far into the morning and that she need not worry over my light, which I should not probably put out till she was half through with her night's rest. For answer, she dropped the lily. I found it next morning lying withered and brown in the hallway. That light did burn far into the morning, but I was not there to trim it. Before the fatal hour had struck, I had left the house and made my way to the pavilion. As I crossed the sward I saw the gleam of a lantern at the masthead of a small boat, riding near our own landing-place, and I understood where he was at this hour and by what route he hoped to take my darling. A route she will never travel thought i striving to keep out of my mind and conscience the vision of another route another travel which that sweet young body might take if my mood held and my purpose strengthened there was no moon that night and the copse in which our pavilion stands was like a blot against the starless heavens as i drew near it my dog the invariable companion of my walks lifted a short sharp bark from the stables but i knew whose hand had fastened him and i went on without giving him a thought at the door of the pavilion i stopped all was dark within as without and the silence was something to overwhelm the heart she was not there then nor was he but he would be coming soon and up or down between the double hedgerows I went to meet him. It was a small detail, but possibly a necessary one. In her eyes he was probably handsome and gifted with all that I openly lacked. But he was shallow and small for a man like me to be concerned about. I laughed inwardly and with conceivable scorn as I heard the faint fall of his footsteps in the darkness. It was nearly two, and he meant to be prompt." Our coming together in that narrow path was very much what I expected it to be. I had put out my arms and touched the hedge on either side so that he could not escape me. When I heard him drawing close, I found the voice I had not had for her, and observed very quietly and with the cold politeness of a messenger. My wife finds herself indisposed since the ball, "'and begs to be excused from joining you in the pleasant sail you proposed for her. "'That and no more, except that when he started and almost fell into my arms, "'I found strength to add, "'The wind blows fresh to-night, and you will have no difficulty in leaving this shore. "'The difficulty will be to return. "'I had no heart to kill him. He was young, and he was frightened.' I heard the sob in his throat, and I dropped my arm, and he went flying down to the river. This was child's play. The rest? My portion is to tell it, forty years ago it all befell, until now no words of it had ever left my lips. There was no sound of her advancing tread across the lawn as I stepped back into my own grounds to enter the pavilion, But as I left the path and put foot inside the wall, I heard a far, faint sound like the harsh closing of a door in timid hands, followed by another bark from the dog, louder and sharper than the first, for he did not recognize my Aileen as mistress, though I had striven for six months to teach him the place she held in my heart. By this I knew she was coming, and that what preparations I had to make must be made soon, They were not many. Entering the well-known place I lit the lantern I had brought with me and set it down upon the floor. It cast a feeble light about the entrance, but left great shadows in the rear. This I had calculated on, and into these shadows I now stepped. The pavilion, as you remember it, is not what it was then. I had used it little, fancying more my own library up at the house but it was not utterly without furnishings, and to young eyes might even look attractive with love or fancied love to mellow its harsh lines and lend romance to its solitude. At this hour and under these circumstances it was a dismal hole to me, and as I stood there waiting I thought how the place fitted the deed, if deed it was to be. I had always thought her timid, afraid of the night and all threatening things, but as I listened to the sound of her soft footfall at the door, I realized that even her breast could go strong under the influence of real or fancied passion. It was a shock, but I did not cry out, only set my teeth together and turned a little, so that what light there was would fall on my form rather than on my face. She entered. I felt rather than heard the tremulous push she gave to the door and the quick drawing in of her breath as she put her foot across the threshold. These sapped my courage. This fear, this almost hesitation, drew me from thoughts of myself to thoughts of her, and it was in a daze of mingled purposes and regrets that I felt her at last at my side. Walter fell softly, doubtfully from her lips. It was the name of him... THE DIP OF WHOSE OARS AS HE MADE FOR HIS BOAT I COULD NOW FAINTLY HEAR IN THE RIVER BELOW US. TURNING, I LOOKED HER IN THE FACE. YOU ARE LATE, SAID I. GOD GAVE ME WORDS IN MY EXTREMITY. WALTER HAS GONE. THEN, AS THE MADNESS OF TERROR REPLACED LOVE IN HER EYES, I LIFTED HER FORCIBLY AND CARRIED HER TO THE WINDOW WHERE I DREW ASIDE THE VINES. "'That is his boat's lantern you see drawing away from the dock. "'I bade him Godspeed. He will not come again.' "'Without a word she looked, then fell back on my arm. "'It was not life which forsook her face "'and left her whole sweet body inert "'that I could have borne, for did she not merit death "'who had killed my love, killed me? "'But happiness, the glow of youthful blood, THE DREAMS OF A YOUTHFUL BRAIN. And seeing this, seeing that the heart I thought a child's heart had gone down in this shipwreck, I felt my anger swell and master me body and soul, and before I knew it, I was towering over her and she was cowering at my feet, crushed and with hands held up in defense, hands that had been like rose leaves in my grasp, futile hands, but raised now in entreaty for her life to me, "'to me who had loved her. "'Why did they not move me? "'Why did my muscles tighten instead of relax? "'I do not know. "'I had never thought myself a cruel man, "'but at that instant I felt that this toy of my strong manhood "'had done harm far beyond its value, "'and that it would comfort me to break it and toss it far aside. "'Only I could not bear the cry which now left her lips. "'I am so young!' "'Not yet, not yet, Philo. I am so young. Let me live a little while.' Was it a woman's plea, conscious of the tenderness she appealed to, or only a child's instinctive grasping after life, just life? If it were the first, it would be easy to finish. But a child's terror, a child's longing that pulled hard at my manhood, and under the possibility, my own arm fell.' Instantly her head dropped. No defense did she utter. No further plea did she make. She simply waited. "'You have deserved death,' this I managed to utter. "'But if you will swear to obey me, "'you shall not pay your forfeit "'till you have had a further taste of life. "'Not in my house. "'There is not sufficient freedom within its walls for you. "'But in the broad world,' where people dance and sing and grow old at their leisure, without duty and without care. For three months you shall have this, and have it to your heart's content. Then you shall come back to me, truly my wife, if your heart so prompts. If not, to tell me of your failure and quit me forever. But, here I fear my voice grew terrible, for her hands instinctively rose again, Those three months must be lived unstained, as you are in God's sight this hour. I demand of you to swear that, if you forget this or disregard it or for any cause subject my name to dishonor, that you will return unbidden at the first moment your reason returns to you, to take what punishment I will. On this condition I send you away tonight, Aline. Will you promise?" She did not answer, but her face rose. I did not understand its look. There was pathos in it, and something else. That something else troubled me. "'Are you dissatisfied?' I asked. "'Is the time too short? "'Do you want more months for dancing?' She shook her head, and the little hands rose again. "'Do not send me away,' she faintly entreated. "'I don't know why, but I had rather stay.' "'With me? Impossible. Are you ready to promise, Aline?' Then she rose and looked me in the eye with courage, almost with resolution. "'As I live,' said she, and I knew she would keep her word. The next thing I remember of that night was the sight of her little white shivering figure looking out at me from the carriage that was to carry her away. The night was cold and I had tucked her in with as much care as I might have done the evening before, when I still worshipped her, still thought her mine, or at least as much mine as she was anyone's. When I had done this and had pressed a generous gift into her hand, I took a minute at the carriage door in pity of her aspect. She looked so pinched and pale, so dazed and hopeless. Had she been alone, but the companion with whom I had provided her— "'was at her side, and my tongue was tied. "'I turned, and the driver started up the horses. "'Philo,' I heard blown by me on the wind, "'was it she who called? "'No, for there was anguish in the cry, "'the anguish of a woman, "'and she was only a frightened, disheartened child "'whom I had sent away to dance. "'One month, two months went by, "'and I began to take up my life.' "'another, and she would be home, for good or ill. "'I thought that I could live through that other. "'I had heard of her, not from her, that I did not require. "'And the stories were all of the same character. "'She was enjoying life in the great city to which I had sent her, "'radiant at night, if a little spiritless by day. "'She was at balls, at concerts, and at theatres. "'She wore jewels and shone with the best.' "'I may be proud of her conquests "'and the sweetness and dignity with which she bore herself. "'Thus her friends wrote. "'But she wrote nothing. "'I had not required it. "'Once someone, a visitor at the house, "'spoke of having seen her. "'She was surrounded with admirers,' he had said. "'How early are American women ripen?' was his comment." "'She held her head like one who had held sway for years. "'But I thought her a trifle worn, "'as if pleasure absorbed too much of her sleep. "'You must look out for her, Judge.' "'And I smiled grimly enough, I own, "'to think just how I was looking out for her. "'Then came the thunderbolt. "'I am told that no one ever sees her in the daytime, "'that she is always busy, days.' "'but she does not look as if she took that time for rest. "'What can your little wife be doing? "'You ought to hurry up that important opinion of yours and go see.' "'He was right. What was she doing? "'And why shouldn't I go see? "'There was no obstacle but my own will, "'but that is the greatest obstacle a man can have. "'I remained at Homewood, "'but the four weeks of our further probation looked like a year.' Meanwhile, I had my way with the pavilion. I have shown you my heart, sometimes at its best, often at its worst. I will show it to you again in this. I had a wall built around it, close against the thicket in which it lay embedded. This wall was painted white, and near it I had lamps placed which were lit at nightfall. Should a figure pass that wall I could see it from my window. "'No one could enter that doorway now without running the risk of my seeing him "'from where I sat at my desk. "'Did I feel easier? "'I do not know that I did. "'I merely followed an impulse I dared not name to myself. Two weeks of this final month went by. "'Then, it was in the evening, "'someone came running up from the grounds with the message "'that Mrs. Ocampa had ridden into the gate.' but that she was not ready to enter the house, would I meet her at the pavilion. I was in the library at my desk, with my eyes on the wall, when this was told to me. I had just seen a fierce figure of that unmanageable dog of mine run by that white surface, and my lips were open to order him tied up, when he and everything else in the world was forgotten in this crushing news of her return. FOR THE THREE MONTHS WERE NOT UP, AND HER PRESENCE HERE COULD MEAN BUT ONE THING, THAT SHE HAD FOUND TEMPTATION TOO MUCH FOR HER, AND SHE HAD COME BACK TO TELL ME SO IN OBEDIENCE TO HER PROMISE. I WILL GO MEET MRS. Ocampa, I SAID. THE MAN STARED. I WILL GO MEET MRS. Ocampa NOW, I REPEATED AND TRIED TO RISE. BUT MY LIMBS REFUSED. DEATH HAD ENTERED MY HEART. "'and it was some few minutes before I found myself upon the lawn outside. "'When I got there I was trembling and so uncertain of movement "'that I tottered at the gate, "'but seeing signs of her presence within I straightened myself and went in. "'She was standing at the extreme end of the room when I entered, "'in the full light of the solitary moonbeam which shot in at the western casement. "'She had thrown aside her hat and coat,' and never in all my life had i seen anything so ethereal as the worn face and wasted form she thus disclosed had it not been for the haunting and pathetic smile which by some freak of fate gave poignancy to her otherwise infantile beauty i should not have known the woman who stood there with my name formed on her lips destroyed was my thought and the rage which i felt that moment against fate flushed my whole being, and my arms went up, not in threat against her, but to an avenging heaven, when I heard an impetus rush, an angry growl, and the delicate trembling figure went down under the leap of the monstrous animal which I had taught to love me, but could never teach to love her. In horror and unspeakable anguish of soul I called off the dog, AND STOOPED WITH BITTER CRIES, I TOOK HER IN MY ARMS. HURT, I GASPED. HURT, ALINE? I LOOKED AT HER ANXIOUSLY. NO, SHE WHISPERED, HAPPY. AND BEFORE I REALIZED MY OWN FEELINGS OR THE PASSION WITH WHICH I DREW HER TO MY BREAST, SHE HAD NESTLED HER HEAD AGAINST MY HEART, SMILED, AND DIED. THE SHOCK OF THE DOG'S onslaught HAD KILLED HER. I would not believe it at first, but when I was quite sure, I took out the pistol I carried in my breast and shot the cowering brute midway between the eyes. When this was done, I turned back to her. But there was no light but the moon, and I needed no other. The clear beams falling on her face made her look pure and stainless and sweet. I could almost have loved her again as I marked the tender smile which lingered from the passing moment on her lips. "'Happy,' she had said. What did she mean by that happy? As I asked myself I heard a cry. The companion who had been with her had rushed in the doorway and was gazing in sorrow and amazement at the white form, lying outstretched and senseless against that farther wall. Oh, she cried in a tone that assured me she had not seen the dog lying in his blood at my back. Dead already, dead at first glance, at the first word. Ah, uh, she knew better than I, poor lamb. I thought she would get well if she once got home. She wearied so for you, sir, and for Homewood. I thought myself quite mad, past understanding aright the words addressed to me. "'She wearied?' I began. "'With all her soul for you and Homewood,' the young woman repeated. "'That is, since her illness developed.' "'Her illness?' "'Yes, she has been ill ever since she went away. "'The cold of the first journey was too much for her. "'But she kept up for several weeks, "'doing what no other woman ever did before, "'with so little strength and so little hope.' danced at night, and, 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 what by day, what? I could hardly get the words out of my mouth. Studied, learned what she thought you would like, French, music, politics. It was to have been a surprise. Poor soul, it took her very life. She did not sleep. Oh, sir, what is it? I was standing over her probably a terrifying figure. Lights were playing before my eyes, strange sounds were in my ears. Everything about me seemed resolving itself into chaos. "'What do you mean?' I finally gasped. "'She studied?' "'To please me? "'Why did she come back then so soon?' I paused, choked. "'I had been about to give away my secret. "'I mean... Why did she come thus suddenly without warning me of what I might expect? I would have gone. I told her so, but she was very determined to come to you herself, to this very pavilion. She had set the time later, but this morning the doctor told her that her symptoms were alarming, and without consulting him or heeding the advice of any of us, she started for home. She was buoyant on the way. "'and more than once I heard her softly repeating your name. "'Her heart was very loving. "'Oh, sir, you are ill.' "'No, no,' I cried, crushing my hand against my mouth "'to keep down the cry of anguish and despair "'which tore its way from my heart. "'Before other hands touch her, other eyes see her, "'tell me when she began. "'I will not say to love me but too weary for me and Homewood. Perhaps she has told you herself. Here is the letter, sir. She bade me give you if she did not reach here alive. She wrote it this morning after the doctor told her what I have said. Give, give. She put it in my hand. I glanced at it in the moonlight, read the first few words, and felt the world reel around me. Thrusting the letter in my breast, I bade the woman, who watched me with fascinated eyes, to go now and rouse the house. When she was gone, I stepped back into the shadows, and catching hold of the murderous beast, I dragged him out about the wall to the thick clump of bushes. Here I left him and went back to my darling. When they came in, they found her in my arms. Her head had fallen back, and I was staring— "'staring at her white throat. "'That night, when all was done for her which could be done, "'I shut myself into my library and again opened that precious letter. "'I give it to show how men may be mistaken "'when they seek to weigh women's souls. "'My husband, I love you. "'As I shall be dead when you read this, "'I may say so without fear of rebuff.' I DID NOT LOVE YOU THEN, I DID NOT LOVE ANYBODY. I WAS THOUGHTLESS AND FOND OF PLEASURE AND CRAVED AFFECTIONATE WORDS. HE SAW THIS AND WORKED ON MY FOLLY, BUT WHEN HIS PROJECT FAILED AND I SAW HIS BOAT CREEP AWAY, I FOUND THAT WHAT FEELING I HAD WAS FOR THE MAN WHO HAD THWARTED HIM, AND I FELT MYSELF SAVED. If I had not taken cold that night, I might have lived to prove this. I know that you do not love me very much, but perhaps you would have done so had you seen me grow a little wiser and more like what your wife should be. I was trying when, oh, Philo, I cannot write, I cannot think. I am coming to you. I love, forgive and take me back again, alive or dead, I love you, I love." As I finished, the light which had been burning low suddenly went out. The window which opened before me was still unshuttered. Before me across the wide spaces of the lawn showed the pavilion wall white in the moonlight. As I stared in horror at it, a trembling seized my whole body and the hair on my head rose. THE DARK FIGURE OF A RUNNING DOG HAD PASSED ACROSS IT, THE DOG WHICH LAY DEAD UNDER THE BUSHES. GOD'S PUNISHMENT, I MURMURED, AND LAID MY HEAD DOWN ON THE PATHETIC LETTER AND SOBBED. THE MORNING FOUND ME THERE. IT WAS NOT TILL LATER THAT THE MAN SENT TO BURY THE DOG CAME TO ME WITH THE CRY, SOMETHING IS WRONG WITH THE PAVILION. WHEN I WENT DOWN TO CLOSE THE WINDOW I FOUND THE CEILING AT THAT END OF THE room STRANGELY DABBLED. It looks like blood, and the spots grew as I looked. Aghast, bruised in spirit and broken of heart, I went down after that sweet body was laid in the grave to look. The stains he had spoken of were gone, but I lived to see them reappear, as have you. God, have mercy on our souls. End of chapter 11